This episode, you meet Tom Lang, Spirit of 76, a uh, Air Force punter for three years, uh, at least uh, the, the, the starting punter for three years. He also was such a great cadet. He made, on, he made it on a group staff one, one year. Uh, upon graduation, Tom became an Air Force pilot. Uh, didn't get his first choice, so he flew tankers for a while. He has a good story about attitude check in that one. Uh, became an instructor pilot, uh, then a swimming pool manager, kind of funny. Then he became a, a reserve C-5 pilot, so flew uh, the big giant cargo birds all over the world. After that, he became a Delta, uh, a Delta pilot for many years and retired from Delta just in time to get a great job as a Boeing test pilot up here in the Pacific Northwest. He's now officially retired from all the flying stuff, but he's still playing uh, sports, and we'll cover that at the very end. Uh, enjoy this one. There he is. Hi, Tom. Hello, John Hope. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for doing this. I uh, absolutely. I, I always like to start off by asking you what kind of overall message do you have for the uh, the current class, the uh, recent grads, and the old goats like us. Ah, the best thing is never give up. I mean, you may you're gonna along the way things are gonna happen. It's not like you're. It's not straight A's like you had in in high school. It's not being the valedictorian. You're gonna have things that happen. I always like the 95 percenters. Those people know that they had to fail a little bit to get to where they are. So never give up. So you were straight A's in high school? <laughs> no, no, not quite. Well, yeah, I was actually. Wow. I, I'm sorry. I had one B in typing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I got a D in typing in high school because I sat with a bunch of cheerleaders and I couldn't focus. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's impressive. So, well, all right. So the... <laughs> With that sterling uh, academic capability, why did you pick Air Force? Uh, I wanted to play Division One football. When I was in high school, our um, the physics teacher was also the head football coach, and he got a card from uh, Coach John Carney, who was the linebacker coach at the time, but he also recruited the Southwest. I grew up in Phoenix. And uh, Coach Martin called me in and says, hey, I they want three names of people that are academically – uh, available or able to get to the academy and also have some skills and you want me to put your name on that i went sure so <laughs> and that was it and uh was any other academic places chasing you down or uh well yale was but that was also to play football and i could academically meet that but that was a you know going from phoenix out to uh the east coast it was just a little bit too much uh out of reach at the time and that, that wasn't as good a financial deal, right? Oh, well, it, actually, I think I got $1,000 a year or something like that. <laughs> back, when, back when tuition was about 2000 bucks a year, yeah. Well, Yale was a little bit more, but yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, that's cool. So, so you grew up in Phoenix. What was, what was that? Was it the only place you lived? Or No, well, I, actually, I was born in Wisconsin. And uh, during World War II, my dad was on a troop train and he went through uh, Albuquerque, Phoenix and Tucson. And he and my mom were a wartime marriage. They, they had two. They lived in uh, towns that were only six miles apart. So they knew each other, but they met. And two weeks later, they were married well, before my dad shipped out. And uh, so he's on this troop train going over to be part of the um occupation forces in nagoya japan and i can't remember if it was on the way over or on the way back but he got back and told my mom that someday we're going to live in the southwest you know Turkey, <laughs> tucson or phoenix so they took a trip out there one time and then uh, 
something happened and he said, well, wherever we get a job first, that's where we're moving. So we moved from Wisconsin down to Arizona in 1957. Cool. So he wanted to get away from the snow and cold and also away from the water, it sounds like. I think that was it. Plus, he was a land surveyor by trade. Oh, and okay. I mean, gosh, can you imagine what it was like in 1957 in Arizona? Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of jobs for land surveyors. I have apparently some random uh, uncle in my history that uh, was one of the Union or American general or officer guys who helped settle Arizona and may help them become a territory. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. But, but when the Civil War broke out, he he went and joined his buddy Robert E. Lee and ended up getting all the monuments and cities and counties erased. His name got erased from all the records in Arizona. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you picked the wrong side. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I was actually born in New Mexico. So I, I know a little bit about the desert, but I don't know if I'd want to live there. So how, how did you find living down there all, all those years? Well, you know, when, when people complain about how hot it is living up here, like you and I do in the Pacific North, <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's going to be 85. Make sure you take care of your, your dogs and make sure they have plenty of water and your pets and, you know, care about. I mean, I remember we'd let, basically leave the um, uh, house in the morning as kids and we wouldn't come back. We didn't know what, what the temperature was. I mean, two-a-day football practices in high school yeah. went 100, 100 degrees out. And that was back in the days they thought salt pills would work. <laughs> drank a lot of water, and you just sort of did it. I mean, I'm not saying anybody is less capable these days, but uh, you didn't really notice it too much, I don't think, growing up. Well, I, I do remember the deal where they would give you salt tablets telling you not to drink too much water because you'd cramp up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, there. and then. The other thing is my dad, uh, summertime was not a good time for him because I have three brothers and keeping four boys quiet um, was very difficult. And he used to get up like almost, I think, at three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Just get his, his crews out in the summertime, you know, so they could get their work done as soon as the sun was up and then, you know, be done before the big heat of the day would, would, would hit. So uh, or you say three brothers, how, who went where first? Because uh, were you the oldest or? Oh no, I'm uh, I'm number three out of four. Okay. In fact, uh, uh, my nickname is Joe Roger Tom Bruce. So where am I in the pecking order? Third. There you go. And so <laughs> my mom just figured if she said that all the time, one of us would show up. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm number three. My brother Joe went to Northern Arizona University, and my brother Roger went to Arizona State. My brother Bruce went to the U of A. He's one year younger than me. Uh, a class behind me, a little bit more than 12 months younger. And so that was all the major colleges at the time in Arizona. So I had to go to the Air Force Academy. <laughs> and you're the only guy that left the state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody else stayed in state. So, all right. So you wanted to go play football and you picked Air Force because it was a closer and a better better financial deal. How was that first summer? <laughs> oh, not, not too bad. Um, it was interesting. I... Uh, um, before we left, I had been a camp counselor at a uh, Lutheran um, church camp, and I caught food poisoning while I was there, and also got stung. So the combination uh, with with a uh, a wasp or a bee, but I had a little bit of reaction to it, plus the food poisoning. So I must have lost like twenty or twenty five pounds before I even started basic. Oh man! Yeah, and uh, you know how much you get to eat when you're in basic training, <laughs> and then yeah. I'm thinking. I'm going to play football and I'm this skinny mini guy. Well, I was able to put on some weight, so that worked out pretty well. Oh, really? You're putting on weight, you're a beast. 
Well, you know, and right after, as much as you know, I mean, I had already lost a whole bunch, but yeah, we're yeah. working out all the time. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, how, uh, uh, any, any memorable stories of that first summer? Uh, not so much for the first summer, too much. I was just sort of, I did, well, I did have one. I mean, you remember the confidence course? What a yeah, great, yeah. And I got to thinking, you know, here I am, uh, brand new and, you know, it's you're we've basically chosen the profession of arms by going to the academy. And I remember that one tower we had to call crawl up on, and I don't particularly care for heights. And I get up there and I'm thinking, you know, there is uh I don't fear death. <laughs> my feeling. I said, you know, it may happen someday, and and that was just something I do remember from that. I'd love just I'd love the confidence course. I wish we could have done it more often. So that big tall thing, we're up there hanging, kind of walking around on the scaffolding kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Remember, yeah. I had to climb up the outside, but I said, you know, there's no reason to fear death. Was that also the course where we got different puzzles to figure out? And no, that was a different course. I okay. wish on that one also. Yeah, I, I did pretty poorly on my puzzle thing with the guy. Yeah, we exactly. couldn't figure that out. Um, and then, so duly year, you're on the football team, or how's how'd that work out? I did not know that the Air Force Academy recruited like other colleges did at the time. I was kind of naive to it. And so when it's time for football practice to start, rather than going to intramurals, I, you know, went over to the field house to get dressed and, you know, realized my name was not on the list. <laughs> so I have to go over to the field house or I'm sorry, the, uh, the old gym. And that's where I get my intramural equipment, basically. You know, the, the leather helmets and all yeah. those type of things. Well, wait, wait, but wasn't your name on a card? Nope, nope, nope. I was. Well, a well, I thought you said you had a somebody filled out a card for you. He filled out a card for me, but that was. And then I, uh, I think I got a letter from Coach Carney. I, I think I don't remember. That's a little okay. fuzzy. And saying, well, we'd like to have you come up here, try and get your appointment, and we'll see you later. <laughs> okay if you get in we'll talk <laughs> yeah so there you are standing there with all these probably about a hundred freshmen i think and of course there's these guys that are all recruited rich richie and some other ones and and they all got these big you know beautiful white uniforms with nice white helmets with lightning bolts on it and the rest of us are like in red and yellow and <laughs> you know or uh you know, like I said, leather helmets, they really weren't, but it's <laughs> all, all the screws you're on for the face masks. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you just get out there, do the best you can. Of course, you know, all the recruits, I think they got to be in the front of the line all the time. And then the rest of us, you know, figured out where it ends. And I was a defensive back mostly in, in high school, a safety okay. and, and a specialist. I punted and kicked. And so I thought, well, maybe that might be my ticket. Okay. So that was a pretty wise choice on your part to go. Showed a left foot off, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, my brother Roger, who uh, passed away a few years ago, I still have the the football that he taught me to punt. It was like two sets of brothers. Uh, my brother Joe and Roger, six and seven years older than than me, and then my brother Bruce is a uh, uh, fourteen months younger. So it was like two sets of brothers, and I got to watch those guys. My brother Joe was great in track; he ran track for NEU. My brother Roger played uh, college football till they got hurt. And but he was a, also a punter and a defensive back. And he looked at me one time when I was I think I was 13. And here I was all of like, you know, uh, five foot six, 135 pounds soaking wet. And he, <laughs> come on. Um, and he lived at home with us that particular summer. I'm going to teach you how to punt and kick. And and then ended up allowing me to go to the Air Force Academy. So thank you, Roger.
So you had the academics, you had the athletic thing going on, so you got to be on the jock ramps. How did the rest of the military stuff uh, sit with you? Oh, not too bad. My my dad was uh, always and he and interestingly, he had an appointment to the Naval Academy in World War Two. Huh. And and back then, I heard understand you like graduated in three years during the war, but he had polio when he was a kid, and uh-huh. so he didn't pass his physical, and it and it kept him out for a long time too. That particular malady uh, had polio when he was a toddler. So anyway. Um, and I think he always wanted to, you know, when he went in, he became a sergeant. And my brother Joe says, well, one of us boys are going to become an officer, according to my mother. And that, I guess that was me. I guess. I was <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was just, you know, you live at my, my dad's house. Now, yeah, granted, I didn't, you know, have cardboard inserts in my T-shirts and so on in the, in the drawer. But yeah, he kept us up, you know, dress right, dress type of thing. So it wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah, I guess with three bo- for three brothers, uh, your dad's called. I got to put some discipline in this crew real quick, or we're going to have a disaster. Right? True, and and the, unfortunately for him, he didn't really have a role model. His die his dad died when he was, uh, uh, I think, eighteen, and so oh. he really didn't have anybody to. And, and he wasn't that close to my my grandfather, my mom's on my mom's side. He was okay, but you know, I just he he did the best he could, and that's the way he did it. So, All right. So, duly year with squatter. I was in number uh, squadron twenty two. Twenty two, and that's old Mitchell. Old Mitchell was the uh, I don't know if you remember. He was captain, and he was the center of the uh, on the football team. I remember looking up to him. The orthopedic surgeon, I think. And yeah, do you, do you know Craig Manson at all? I do. I do. I do. <laughs> if you get a chance, Craig's got a hysterical story about old Mitchell. <laughs> 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 you, you'll love it. You'll you'll just crack up. It'll, it'll be a classic. Was it the time we had to clean up his room? It was the time he thought old Mitchell was a janitor. Oh, my heavens. I do remember that one. <laughs> All right. So you, you make it through football season of our duly year. I'm well, first of all, let's go, back, let's go back to 22nd Squadron really quick. Okay. okay. Uh, and because you brought up the janitor thing. How yeah. many squadrons had a janitor who was a Medal of Honor winner? Well, I, one, I think it was just the, you guys, right? Yeah, 22nd. Yeah. And we didn't know that. He never talked about it until one time, you know, on one of the Saturday morning training sessions, the uh, the, uh, the upperclassmen talked him in and coming up and telling us about his experience. And that was pretty amazing because if you think about it, John, you know, being uh, the class of 76, we weren't that well, starting in 72. I mean, that's 17 years, which if you look at what 17 years is now. I mean, yeah. we're 22 years into the 21st century. I know. We were only 17 years away from the end of World War II and yeah. the Korean War, not too far from that either. So, right in the middle of Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, that, that, I, mean, I don't remember the specifics of the story other than that you guys found the janitor that was a Medal of Honor guy and they made a big, they made a big deal out of him. Yeah, and he didn't want it. He, I mean, he was very low key, and uh, of course, you know, as a as a freshman, you know, you can't really you do much. You know, you're walking down the side of the, um, you know, with your right shoulder all the way in, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so well, I, I was going to say, did he did he ever clean your room for you? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Again, he was pretty quiet, and as a doula, you're you're just trying to survive. Yeah, you're just trying to to go to classes, go to practice study start out all over the next day and then so that the the question about the end of football still a still a dually did the military stuff kick in then or did you get to avoid some of that still well i got to avoid some of it the, the thing of the hard part about being a walk-on 
is that you don't get ramps right away. Oh. You're not, and so you basically have to practice and then you have to go dress back in, you know, not the field house, but the gym. And then you got to, you know, go right back to it and then try to eat and you're late. And so all of a sudden you're noticed as you get onto the, the table and the guys are pretty nice, but you know, there's a, there's always a few cadets that think that uh, the um, ICs, the intercollegiate athletes are getting some privileges. Yeah, maybe rightly so. And um, so you got to deal with that too. And now you're, you're just sitting there while the rest of your buddies that you're, uh, well, the recruited guys are over already on the ramps. Yeah. Porking down. Huh. Yeah. So it was, it was just a, you know, again, never give up. Just keep on going. If that's a goal that you have, never give up. <laughs> All right. So uh, I know you didn't get to avoid Hell Week. No, no, no. Everybody does that. Uh, was that was anything significant there for you? Not really. No, no. Yes. A lot of the, I just sort of kept my head down. I, one thing is because I kept my head down, um, let's just say I started out uh, doing really well academically, uh, kept my uh, nose clean. So got on the soups list wow. and uh, I had a really good GPA that allowed me to graduate with a 2.67 and not have to work very hard the next four years. I'll just leave it at that or three years. Great. So, yeah, I, I didn't start off like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the first summer you, when did you have to go to Siri and all that? Yeah, we did that. The, that was the first summer. Boy, that was an, that's another one of those experiences that you, that you look back on. And I don't know if you, uh, I guess I can say this now, uh, it's not secret, but I don't know if you remember our, our repatriation, uh, ceremony that was, uh, that just remembered a lot where you turn around and there's the American flag standing up there. And I remember, wasn't it major Jacoby? Didn't he run the program? Yeah. See, that's a name that sticks out. He had just come back from being a POW, right? Yeah, I believe so. So he yeah. kept going on. Yeah. Well, he, the hard part too is I knew a lot of the football players because they they were the rough guys, you know, they, <laughs> you know, pound on you and everything. They were pounding on you in practice, and they get to do it at more. So yeah, and you try not to laugh, and they're trying not to laugh. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't laughing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you? Go. you uh, so you made through Siri. Did you? What else did you do that first summer? The first, uh, actually, your second summer. Oh my gosh! Let's see. What else did I do? Did yeah. we? A little bit of leave, did you? Oh, I went soaring because I, you know, did well actually yeah. and militarily. I got got a chance to go soaring, so I did uh, did Syrian soaring that summer. So there, I I think this is important to note that they are encouraging even the athletes on these teams to go do these things that are pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's never any restrictions that I know of back then. Yeah, and I'm just saying, I think it's a really cool place to go if you're, if you're thinking of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Exactly. And just, just so you know, soaring is flying a glider without an engine. <laughs> yep. Well, back then it was a little bit different, too, uh, because you actually could get a, enough hours for a check ride and, and get your glider. They had enough FAA designees around that they could actually give you uh, a check ride so you could get your glider license. Oh, I don't cool. necessarily true right now for everybody that goes through soaring. All right. So then uh, that summer's over and you start off the next year. Oh yeah. I go up and I said, Oh gosh, it's uh, fall football. I finished up in spring football. I thought everything was going pretty well there. And I show up to get my uniform and my name's on the list and I don't have anything in my locker. And I went to the 
<laughs> I went to the equipment manager and I said, what's going on? They go, well, your name's on the list, so no uniform for you. I went, well, wait a minute here. So I thought, well, never give up. I'm going to go talk to Coach Carney because he's the one that, quote unquote, recruited me. And he says, well, he says, I think uh, we may have to talk to Ben, Ben Martin about this, but let me see what I can do. And I said, well, I just need to remind you that the other freshman punter left the academy, <laughs> sophomore, he left also. Now, of course, Dave Lawson was kicking. He wasn't punting at the time, so he'd already finished up his freshman year. So, And I said, and you don't have any backup kickers. Just kind of reminded him of that. And guess what? I got a uniform. And and Dave was also playing nose tackle, right? He was. He was. So, yeah, I mean, they're really risking it with you storing and Dave nose tackling. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so anyway, I got my got my uniform back and uh, uh, went out for the fall and and uh, I, I did okay. And then I became the starting punter. In fact, I think I was the only punter. Basically, I backed up Dave and Dave backed up me. Yeah. And you said you said somewhere along the way that. Uh, once you got that role, it was pretty pretty good until you were senior, I think, and then they started recruiting punters or what happened. No, there? Um, there was one particular coach that didn't particularly care for me, and he was a graduate assistant, if I remember rightly. And I think uh, he had, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much, but anyway, <laughs> just made my life a little bit. Uh, I was the first person to really be a specialist, even though my sophomore year I was listed as. P slash DB, you know, punter slash defensive back. And never got in a game as a defensive back, but I always worked out with the defensive back. Coach Braley was just outstanding and very much accepting. And, you know, when you're a punter, you're sort of the safety on the, the punt recovery team anyway. You know, you're the last person back. So that worked out pretty fun. Anyway, so he just, he just made life kind of difficult for me. But my, my coach was Ben Martin, the head coach. Duh. Okay. So that kind of helped. And, uh, but I do have one, one story I remember. I don't know if guys remember, um, a great quarterback we had, Rich Haney, and he's a senior. I mean, he's a God. I'm a sophomore. Shoot. I, nobody knows me. Who, I'm, I'm a, I'm a specialist. And I remember the first away game, he comes down. We're both in seven squadron at the time. And he knocks on my door and I go, Oh, Hey, Rich. He goes, come on, Todd, let's go. And I went, wait a minute. The captain of the football team knows my name. <laughs> That was pretty cool. That I'll never forget that. And so That's great. I, he's I figured I just can get you because I didn't think you knew where we had to go. And so, come on, let's go. So, man, oh, man. That's, you know, so it's, yeah, that was pretty cool. That's great. So, so I, basically the, the other assistant coach that was giving you grief, he had a chip on his shoulder and his chip was Tom Lang. Is that what you're saying? It sort of felt that way to me. But, uh, again, now, I was, was that guy a grad or was that guy just a coach? No, he was a grad. Okay. He was a grad. He he wasn't very much removed from the class of seventy six. Okay, so he was, he was still kind of being an upperclassman. Yeah, a little bit. I and and again, I don't. Well, he was a player as well as a, a specialist. He'd never been a specialist, and so, you know, if you think about, it was sort of a transition for the academy at the time, and it was also a transition for this NCAA because that was when freshmen could start playing on the varsity. You know, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. Wild and. And Dave Lawson were the two freshmen that uh, you know played all four years. That's right. They uh, they they let uh, Kareem start playing. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So you went to seven squadron. Things were going still pretty good academically, or, or how how did all that turn out? Yeah. Yeah, they were going okay. Like I said, I started with a good GPA and just kind of hung in there after that. And uh, yeah, had a had a great roommate, Mick Ertle, played baseball. 
what a what a great guy. He and I were uh, were roommate for the for the longest time. Uh, Mick played second base, and and he'll tell you he wasn't a long ball hitter. And I remember one time during fall ball, he hit a grand slam home run. I don't know if it was a uh, 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 an inter squad game or a game against like Adam State or something like that. But I remember I went downtown and I got him a I got him a trophy, and he tells me he still keeps that trophy on his desk. That's cool. So yeah. I would. <laughs> a lot of fun. There was a lot of good guys in uh, in seventh at the time. Tim Hass was also in seventh squadron, and he and I were the only two walk-ons to make it all the way to our senior year. Wow. Wow. So you you, you got to hit your goal from high school to play Division One football? You're oh, my God. Your... Yes. I mean, the, being in the time, you always played, of course, Army and Navy, which were real special. Uh, didn't play nearly on, on national TV as much as they do nowadays. And, uh, so those were special times too. Got to play in the Superdome, got to play RFK stadium. Um, yeah, it was just great. Except for the Oregon game where I got uh, knocked out of the game. <laughs> and you showed me those pictures at that. Led, led um, to a, uh, <laughs> led to the, when I really started having some knee problems and I go see an orthopedic guy and he goes, um, Tom, I don't know how to tell you this, but you don't have an ACL. I go, oh, wow. <laughs> so anyway. So but, did you want to share the story of the two-yard punt? Oh, of course I'll share. <laughs> let me let me fast forward to when the Academy was playing up here against UW. You and I talked about we both went to the game. And Randy Spetman at the time was the athletic director. And Russ Laney, I think, was head of marketing for the athletic department. And so I saw Russ at the game. He says, hey, you want to go see Ben Martin? Because he was with Jim Bowman up in the press box. I go, I'd love to go see Ben Martin at halftime. So he says, well, I'll come get you and I'll take you up there. And, and uh, Ben, I'd like to see you. So off I went. Because like I said, Ben Martin was really the punting coach as the head coach. Because we yeah. really didn't have any like they have today. So I went up there and I saw him. And of course, Jim Bowman. You know, we all say hi. Everybody remembers everybody. And Jim Bowman says, hey, you remember the time that Ben hit you over the head with a clipboard? When you had <laughs> Thanks, Coach Bowman, for bringing that up right away. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly one of my stellar time. And it would have been a negative pun had I not downed it for a two-yard punt. <laughs> no, wait, come on, tell, tell. It must have been heavy wind, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. It's right side of my foot. I just barked it up. So, but I, as it bounced backwards, I went and <laughs> recovered my own punt. And, of course, it had to be right in front of Ben Martin. Remember when the, the we used to be on the cadet side? Yeah. The football team was. And then I come off the, the field, and he slaps me in the head with a clipboard. And basically, I don't know what he said. All I heard, you know, I felt horrible. Well, you did. I know you did one year. You only had 26 punts. The next year, you had like 60-something punts. Yeah, I did. In fact, uh, I think I had the first. I, I, I was the first guy to like to punt all three years. And had like a record for most punts as a cadet, which doesn't speak well for uh, maybe how our offense was. But it, the fact that it just hung in there. So, yeah, the 26 was because I got hurt. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, yeah. If, if, I mean, that's say 50 some, 54, 26, 63. And I go, oh, that's a lot. But my, my, we almost had a great offense in 74. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. it, it was, it was, well, yeah, it was, uh, that was the winning, when I played for the three years, that was a, a winning season, and the next two years were not. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, did you get to go to third lieutenant? I did. Went to. Uh, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, 
I thought that was something a little bit different. That was my thought. And so I ended up going down to Eglin to a, uh, a rescue unit, which was really fun. So you got to fly on C-130s and see them put all that stuff out the back. And then you got to fly on HH-53s. In fact, I remember, I think my first flight in HH-53 was the first time in my life I'd been part of a uh, uh, aircraft emergency, you know, and that's when you sort of learn to sit, don't do anything until they tell you what to do because they were losing hydraulics to the tail rotor. Not necessarily a good thing to happen in a, in a, uh, in a helicopter. In a rescue helicopter, just going to yeah, have to be yeah. rescued. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. That was, that was really good. What did you get to do for third lieutenant? I, I did the C-5s out of Dover. Oh, man. Well, I ended up doing C-5s in the reserve, so that's pretty yeah. it, it was It was interesting. I had a one of my favorite stories was a weekend I spent in Tehran. I ran with uh, Dave Jackson, one of our classmates, whose dad was a, a Medal of Honor winner Boeing test pilot over in Tehran. Wow. Isn't that amazing? We, we took the C-5 there just to get our laundry done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... You know, it's amazing how uh, when I graduated from pilot training, uh, I was a KC-135 co-pilot. So they are in SAC, you know, keeping America free. And uh, it was a really a fun group of guys. I remember we wanted to find out the phone number on one Christmas Eve for the Russian, um, the Soviet um, alert facility and said, hey, why don't you guys go home for the night? Promise you won't do anything. And then we could all have Christmas with our families. Yeah. Then I realized the Orthodox wrong day. Yeah, different different month. <laughs> but fast forward to again, I'm I'm working for Boeing, and in one year, I both walked on Red Square and Tiananmen Square. And coming nice. from being a cold warrior, that was uh, rather interesting. That's a little hairy. That's a little, that'll get your pucker factor going. Oh no, it's that you know, it's just how the how the world changed. Yeah, I, I would love to go to Russia someday, but uh, I can't go right now. And a buddy wants yeah. to take me as a. He grew up in Siberia and he's and he's fluent Russian, but he's on the hit list for Putin because he hates Putin. So we can't, I, he can't. I, sure. My wife and I, of course, we went. COVID was worse on us because we just love to travel. And in St. Petersburg was on one of the not planned, but on the you know the bucket list. Yeah. But yeah. I think for our generation, that sort of that ship has sailed for a while. For a while, yeah. So going going real quick, winding back sure. to the academy days. Did you ever want to quit? Uh, I think everybody goes through that. Um, you know, and you, you go and you start complaining about, oh, man, why are they making us do this? And why are they making us do that? And and I and, you know, people would say, um, well, why don't you write your you know, if you don't if you hate it so much, why don't you write a letter to your congressman? And I go, mm, Barry Goldwater is the one who appointed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going to I'm going to do a Wawa letter to barry goldwater yeah i can see that cadet lying drop and give me 20 i mean i can just see how barry goldwater would would uh would react to that I'll give it to john mccain and he'll come out and kick your yeah <laughs> that, so i think i mean i think we all go through that uh but i had this other thing at this goal in mind um uh, you know a lot of guys go there because they want to fly um you know going in the military that was fine with me i hadn't really you know thought a, a lot about it ahead of time and but but division one football was was my goal uh, somebody went asked asked me one time what did you major and i go football <laughs> sort of had a second major in behavioral science but uh but that was my goal and uh i tried yeah. to do everything i could to make sure that that worked well you did it man that was that's cool that's yeah. really neat. and then then do you um, something that went right because you got to go to williams right yeah well i guess so i guess so i think that's um 
um, I got, I went up on group staff my, the last year I knew Don Hebert just really liked athletes. And so he, uh, my last, uh, go around, I was lo- like the logistics and safety or, uh, athletic guy for first group. Okay. And, uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but that also bumps you up. And when it comes time to, you know, you realize John, there's a lot of politics behind the scenes that you never really knew about, yeah. like that about like the recruiting thing. And um, you you realize when the coaches that actually recruit people, they have a real reason to make sure that you are successful because the head coach is going to go, why did you give away one of my slots? Yeah. Why did this person leave the academy? Did you, you know what I mean? You go all those things. So, uh, yeah, I got to go to, to Williams. I uh, started, I was only on casual status a little while. So it was a whole um, great academy group. And we went through with the first class of, of uh uh, jet women uh, in our oh okay that was that was also some rather uniqueness to it and did you get your first choice assignment after that oh <laughs> <laughs> it's a loaded question oh. I don't... <laughs> no not exactly i'm 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 really surprised when when people say well what did you do at boeing i said i was a test pilot and i'm thinking if anybody knew me in 1977 they go How <laughs> get there he barely got his wings but uh uh, just through perseverance. I mean, I grew up in Arizona. I got to go to Williams. When I did my low level, I put my map away. I knew where we were going. You know? <laughs> so hang on, hang on. You said you, you barely got your wings, but you were a stellar student at the Academy. Tell, explain well, that, explain well, that to folks. Stellar student when I was younger, as I started getting up, you know, <laughs> well, I was uh, pretty lucky. I never marched a tour. I want to be very proud of that, but I did serve academic probation because I had a D during the, uh, I think my junior year is when that happened. So I didn't have to do a tour, but uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I just, I did okay in pilot training and there just wasn't enough uh, fighters to um, whatever to go around. So I got a KC-135 out of, out of Williams or to go up to Wurtsmith Air Force Base. And where's that? Uh, it's right. It's south of Alpena and north of Flint, kind of halfway in between. It's right if you hold up your hand, it looks like the shape of the um, shape of the lower area of Michigan and where your pointer finger enters your hand. That's about where I, where it is. It's uh, just a, now it's a Kalita maintenance space. It's closed. Yeah, I did. I think I told you this one story that, again, about perseverance and, you know, carrying on. I wasn't real happy about getting a tank. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I didn't do like some guys that, you know, basically got so drunk on assignment night that they were, they got the, they didn't get the assignment they wanted. Well, then they ended up getting a DUI and it sort of ruins their career as a second lieutenant. What, do you want to show up at your new base with the, oh, by the way, I'm, you know, second lieutenant Lang. Oh, you're the one with the DUI. No, you don't want to do that. No. So anyway, uh, I get to Castle and I'm going through my very first simulator. I related this story to you and I think I want to pass this on for, you know, someone that might want to listen to this. And I'm just not very happy being there. I didn't study for my first simulator. And, uh, but you know, when you go to a multi-place airplane, it's you and the, and the aircraft commander as a copilot. I mean, you got to be there for that person. And so we got through the simulator. I muddled through and we had our debriefing and, uh, the guy was going through his aircraft commander upgrade. His name was Walt. The instructor basically said, Walt, once you go on home, I'm going to talk to Tom here for a little bit. So Walt leaves, 
And uh, the instructor says, sit down, Lieutenant Lang. Didn't call me Tom. <laughs> sit down. I'm going to, he says, I've seen a, I've seen a hundred of you. You d- you probably wanted a fighter or become an instructor pilot, right? Yes, sir. And you didn't really want to be here, did you? No, sir. I didn't want to be here. He says, well, guess what? The Air Force thought that you did well enough. They gave you your wings and they needed you to, to be a KC-135 co-pilot, sit and alert, and they were going to send you to Wordsmith Air Force Base. The, the Air Force picked that for you. It just is what it is. So you got two choices. And, and I had a mustache at the time. This is important to the story. He said, you have two choices. You can just continue doing like you did today, and you probably won't pass, and you'll just get through. But what, what you're going to do is you're going to hurt Walt. And Walt's a captain, and he's sent down here to upgrade. And if he doesn't pass... They're going to send him back to Barksdale, and that's a real black mark on his record. Mm. So you've got two choices. You can either, you know, knuckle down, study, or you can just be like here, and you're going to really hurt Walt. So he said, you'd think about it. So I went home uh, to the queue. I shaved off my mustache because I said, I need a change. I studied my butt off the rest of the, the time and ended up becoming a distinguished graduate and with uh, Walt and I. We were the number one class to graduate. There you go. So... And that's what's important. Sometime you need somebody that it comes out of the blue and is your mentor and says the right things to you. And you got to remember what that is. Yeah. You're, you got to remember you're on a team and you got a coach telling you what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I went up to Wordsmith and did the best I could and had a lot of fun. The ACE program was the best part. I mean, the, we call it the co-pilot hot lunch program. So you go in to fly a T-37, you go, where are we going to go to lunch today? Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. And then from that, you're able to parlay into a, an actual IP job at Columbus, right? I did. I did, which was really cool because you go down to Randolph, and all I had to do is learn how to how to become an instructor. I already knew how to fly the airplane. I had almost you know, 350 or 400 hours because I flew as much as I could uh, in the tweet. And uh, ended up with like 2,100 hours in the T-37. I flew it the entire time I was on active duty because I flew it as a KC-135 yeah. co-pilot. Yeah. And then I instructed at Columbus, which was also a really great job. Met a lot of super people. You know, you, somebody used to say, you know, yesterday the students were bagging groceries and today you're going to turn him into a jet pilot. <laughs> so I, the T-38 instructors, yeah, they, they sort of hopefully polish what we got to do as, you know, T-37 instructors. And then that parlayed into a, a job at Randolph teaching at, at PIT. And then that parlayed into swimming pool manager. Absolutely, man. I got (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I figured, well, after seven years, nine months and 24 days, it was time to time to give it up. And uh, I tried to get in this reserve unit that was in San Antonio. They uh, flew C-130s at the time and I had a slot and I didn't know it at the time, but they were uh, getting rid of the C-130s. They were going to be the first unit equipped. one of the first unit equipped C5 units, which was a totally different uh, ball of wax for the reserve. And so I had nothing to do. And I went to the little, you know, city manager and yep, I became a pool manager. <laughs> and, and, but then you eventually got on the reserves too. I did. I was sitting in the, I just, I'll never forget this. I was sitting out looking at the deep end, uh, just wondering what's next in my life. And, and the squadron commander that did give me, you know, said, you will, Tom, you will be in this unit someday, just not right now because of the, the transition. He had lost all his C-130 training slots. Mm. And uh, 
there was a phone call and said, hey, there's somebody named Ed Garrard that uh, wants to talk to you. And, oh, my gosh, that's the guy that recruits. And he's one of the guys that's an art at the reserve unit. And, Tom, this is Ed. Well, hi, Ed. How you doing? He says, I got a job for you. Do you want to start C5 school in two weeks? I go, I do. <laughs> so call was to the city manager. Here's my two-week notice. And I went home, shaved off my beard so I could get a little more sun and uh, went off to C5 school. Wow. And so you became a C5 reserve pilot. I did. And then I, I was, uh, air, uh, since we were transitioning, it was, uh, I did um, uh, the air reserve technician. I was an art for a while. I was a full timer because we're all trying to get checked out. And then I was an art for a while. Then if somebody put a um, Delta Airlines application in my file, <laughs> we call it a V file. That's how we coordinated. It wasn't like email and all those things now and said, Hey, um, Jeff Brummett, which is a guy I knew from, uh, uh, instructing at Columbus. He says you need to, and he had gone through school with another one of my, um, squadron mates in the reserve says you need to fill out this application and come work for Delta. So I got my, you know, number two pencil, filled it out, sent it in and lo and behold, got hired. So you going through C five training and Delta training? Yeah, well, I'd finished C five training at the time, and then was going. I know anytime you're going into a new unit, uh, there's always a core group of people that just sort of keep moving through, yeah. you know, because they have to have instructors. So I was uh, got to check out as an instructor pretty quick, and then uh, then they said, "Well, shoot, maybe we should make you an evaluator pilot." So I just you know because you got to train all these other new people that are coming up. So I and did then- all that, and then. I was an air reserve technician and uh, said, hmm, maybe it's time to go work for Delta Airlines and got a job with them. So I, I pretty much was uh, flying in one airplane at a time. Right. And so I'm curious, what kind of mental gymnastics did you do going from a drill weekend with C5s to a, a, a Delta job when you're flying commercial? Oh, that's, that, that's, a good, that's a very good question. You just sort of compartmentalize it in many respects. And, um, you know, one's made by Lockheed and flies all through the dash one things. I don't use nav, what's it called? Uh, uh, nav tops. What's the name for the oh, tops? Yeah. Yeah. So we had the dash one, Yeah, all those things associated with it. And it was able to, to push it back and forth. The guys that had probably more difficulty were, uh, we called they called themselves the magnificent seven. I think we had around 64 pilots in our squadron. And of those, seven of them were not airline pilots. They were, uh, you know, one guy had a Sears catalog store. One guy worked for a communications company. One guy was a crop duster. Uh, so he flew. But uh, it was always interesting. Those guys, uh, man, they were good pilots. But uh, they didn't have the airline stuff. And, you know, you find an ILS is an ILS is an ILS no matter what airplane it's in. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking of... Uh the envelope stuff, you know, how many, how many knots can you go to for landing and G forces and all that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, that's true. But but there was a lot of cheat sheets around that you would look at before you headed out. That's for sure. Yeah. And the, and the checklists are probably a little different for all the planes. They are. are. In fact, uh, again, I'll fast forward. I worked for Boeing my last uh, 11 years and flying and my boss and I, uh, they have one they have one paint facility in Everett, so it can't paint all the airplanes that are coming out. So they have another paint facility down in Portland. So we would end up flying one green airplane down. You'll see those on the ramp and 
in pain field and it would get, you know, pulled into the paint hanger. And then generally on the, hopefully there would be one for us to bring back that was freshly painted. And yes, they do smell like new cars. <laughs> and, um, well, I think we took a triple seven down and brought a seven, six, seven back or vice versa. And I remember walking back with, uh, with Dave, n- another, he's a 78 grad and he worked for Boeing for a long, 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 long time. He was chief of safety and just a super, super guy. And I remember walking back to our cars after we had come back, you know, we flew one model down, another model back. And I said, Dave, that's pretty amazing. I mean, we <laughs> to be able to get in an airplane, feel comfortable in doing this. And he says, well, Tom, we've worked many, many years on that to keep the as many of these checklists common as you can. So when you fly, start out as an airline flying a 737 with Boeing and go all the way up to a 787 uh, through all the other ones, a lot of things you say, all the terminology is the same. And, you know, that's how you kind of do it. You just log <laughs> it in your mind and uh, figure things out. Right. I, I think that's good, but I could also get you into a, a bit of a routine where you might not, <laughs> you might not, you might guess the wrong parameter. That's true. That, that could, that could happen. So you got to make sure that uh, you know what you're doing. All right. So you told me how lucky you were to leave active duty and get in the reserves. Right. And then you told me you got pretty lucky going from uh, Delta to Boeing. I did. I had a, um, again, <laughs> never give up and don't burn any bridges. Uh, <coughs> I'm um, uh, in the Magnolia and I'm singing in the choir at the church. And one of the guys that was in the test portion of it, but not a pilot, he uh, was a pretty big mucky muck with a lot of the uh, uh, laboratories. Um, and he said to me, he said, I understand things aren't going, you know, I, this is at one of the choir practices. Uh-huh. He says, things aren't going really uh, all that good at Delta, I hear. Um, have you ever thought about coming to work for Boeing? I went, not really. He says, well, I sit right next to Mike Coker, who was the chief pilot for the instructors. And back then, there was a whole cadre of instructors that, uh, that Boeing had, flight instructors. We go to actually take other um, uh, airline customers out for training in the airplanes. Sure. And uh, I said, well, I hadn't even thought about that. So Mike Coker and I roomed together when we were in basic training and then <laughs> 22nd Squadron together. And uh, actually, Mike had, would, had just been picked as the new chief pilot. There was another person that, was, that I actually uh, interviewed. Well, he had left in between the time of me getting my interview. So I called him up and I uh, filled out the form and they got an interview. And uh, I had already taken, I don't know, I think I had, uh, I can't remember if I'd flown my last Delta trip or not at the time. The timing's kind of running there. But sure enough, Mike says, well, um, we got about two weeks to do your background check. Everything looks good. I can't tell you whether we can hire you, but I want to hire you. Let's see if the HR people want you to. And sure enough, got hired at Boeing at the time. That's great. And then you said right after that, Delta did something with the retirement. Oh, well, yeah, they, uh, they, um, I think I re- I retired from Delta Airlines on August. I, I, I really don't want to go into that. Let's okay. just basically you, got, you snuck in under a, a pretty important wire. And that was, that was good timing. That was, that was part of that athlete. It was, luck. It was just, you know, out and out luck. All and right. So I want to, I want to yeah. cover how you, you were in Kelly doing the, uh, uh, the air force reserve thing, but then for Delta, you were in Salt Lake city a long time, right? Yeah. Well, I started out in, um, 
uh, in Dallas. I was a flight engineer in Dallas. And then I went to the MD-88 in Dallas because that's, uh, I was living in San Antonio. So that was the easiest place to commute to. And um, then I got activated for, I got hired in 1988. And then we got activated for Desert Shield and Desert Storm uh, out of our reserve unit. And uh, boy, Delta was just super to everybody. I mean, I was able to continue bidding for things still active with delta and so during that one year of being activated i uh, put in a bid and i got picked or was able to get a 737 right seat out of salt lake city so when i got back off of active duty uh, i was in you know pack up the place in san antonio and uh, move more move north to salt lake city oh cool and then how'd you like that area oh my gosh i loved it (laughs) my wife calls it white crap but uh, <laughs> he's sitting here listening to this. I think she's probably smiling. Not many people can say that they got their wife a electric start snowblower for a wedding present. <laughs> so anyway, it was fun. We lived in Park City, which was, uh, uh, and then a place called, Wood. Uh, what was the name of that place, Kate? Woodland Park? Yeah, which was right at the top of the hill. It wasn't, what's that? Summit Park, yeah, right at the top of I eighty. It was it was interesting. No and, skiing, no skiing there, huh? <laughs> oh, it was it was it was pretty fun. But uh, Kate worked for Delta Airlines also, and she was in the Res Sales Department. And she used to be at the Seattle Res Office until they closed it, moved her to Salt Lake City. So we had lots of really great friends in Seattle. And um, one year after our son was born, I said, uh, how about if we just move back to Seattle and then we can just live here the rest of our lives? And she goes, you, you'll commute. I go, absolutely. I'll commute. So here we so are. You were commuting with, with the C5 thing too, or how did no, that? At that time? Well, again, at that time, um, after I got back from being activated, um, I, I hadn't had enough of flying in the reserves. I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong, but you still got to stay, as current as any second lieutenant, even though you're, you know, a senior major and sure. the thousands of hours in the C-5. And there was an aerial port squadron at uh, Hill Air Force Base attached oh. to a fighter squadron. And so I um, put an application. No, they had an opening there and was able to go there. So my last year or so in the reserves, I was a uh, aerial port squadron flight commander. <laughs> Another tanker? <laughs> yeah, kind of. So you went back to the back to the guy that didn't want to be a tanker guy. To, to... Oh no, no, aerial port squadron, not an air refueling squadron. Oh, air okay. Squadron. So it was a, it was a non flying job. Oh, okay, okay. Which is great. I just had to go down and do my my two week annual tour, <laughs> and my two week annual tour was back here at uh, McCord Air Force Base. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then, so you've lived in Seattle now for how long? We moved here in nineteen um, ninety eight. Ninety eight. So it's twenty four years. Yep. Yep. When did you, you moved here about that same time, didn't you? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, got sent by the Navy to Woodby after I got my wing. So I've been oh, up here. Well, that's right. You've been here that, that long. December 77. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But I did spend some time away in the meantime, but, um, and then I want to re- let everybody let you, let's see, I always have a couple questions, but there's some fun stuff first. Let me do the hard ones. Uh, did you ever have any, have any close calls? Oh yeah. Big time. Did you want to share any of the stories? Oh, sure. Um, let's just put it this way. I have uh, had an emergency in every airplane I've ever flown at some point in my life. How, how severe? Um, not 
too bad. Almost had a near uh, mid-air collision at 35,000 feet over Albuquerque when the TCAS was, well, thank goodness for TCAS, uh, terrain, terrain Collision Avoidance System, um, at 35,000. The, the one that was really the toughest one was we were flying a local, it was a C-5, we were flying local out of Kelly, and now it's Lackland Air Force Base. And uh, as we're putting the flaps up after a touch and go, there's this large grinding noise. And mm-hmm. as we're bringing the flaps up and uh, the flight engineer is looking and says, we're starting to lose some of our hydraulics. And so he says, reach, don't, he says, put the gear back down. So I did. And one of the guys looked down in the cargo apartment and it looked like we were on fire. Oh, wow. And um, so it was basically turn up, get on down as quick as we could, turn final. And um, reminded everybody that, you know, it's a big airplane. Nobody get up and evaluate, you know, evacuate until I say so. And so basically what seems like hours, I think was about seven or eight minutes from the time this thing happened until the time we were on the ground. And, uh, thank goodness for great crew work. And, uh, yeah, we, I, I can say I stopped a C5 in 1500 feet. Wow thinking we were on fire. And as it was, it was actually even worse than that because it was misting hydraulic fluids. So if there's oh, a spark, it, it could have gone south very quickly. That was, a, that was the most scary one. Did you, um, in your international travels, did you ever go to weird fields that weren't ready for you? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> the good, good. I mentioned Nagoya, Japan, that my dad was there for the uh, occupation forces in World War II. Well, Yokota Air Base in Japan has a tendency to get real fogged in. <laughs> and we had plenty of uh, fuel on board. And I was also getting a check ride from a numbered Air Force. So we C-5 can have uh, 22 crew members, but if you add two evaluators to it, that brings you up to 24. And then you have 73 people or 73 seats in the back, and we were completely full, 73. So here we are, you know, just a little under 100 people on this airplane. And we're out of gas. We can't hold <laughs> longer to get into Yokota. And our uh, divert field is Nagoya, Japan. Well, they have never seen a C-5 there in their life. It's <laughs> bigger than the buildings of Nagoya. <laughs> exactly. And so, and even though the, the thing that will trap you more if you're flying a 747 or a C-5 being is the ground handling. You can trap yourself by getting on a taxiway you're not supposed to be on because you're too heavy. Or you don't have room to turn around. And so we ended up landing in Nagoya, Japan. Um, there is no Air Force there at all. It's just Japanese Air Force. And so I was bowing my face off, they said. And <laughs> you know, hi, hi, that's about all I know in, in Japanese. And we, we worked it all out. And um, so we pulled off the runway. And we were going to just sit there and wait uh, until the fog cleared. But we're getting really close to the end of our, our crew day. Well, we have one window. We went out to start the engines to, to go back to Yokota. And sure enough, one of the engines doesn't start, the starter blue. Okay. Now, what do I do? I have 75 people in the back I got to find places for. Thank goodness there was this lieutenant colonel back there traveling with his family. He says, Tom, don't worry about it. I'll take care of all these people. Just tell us when to be here tomorrow. And I said, took my crew, the two guys that were uh, evaluators, they said, well, I guess you passed your, uh, your check ride. I said, well, thank you very much. And they end up taking us downtown to a hotel. And uh, about six hours into my crew rest, I get a call from 
a Japanese major. And he <laughs> says, Major Lang? Yes, sir. He says, move your airplane. Click. Hang on. <laughs> okay. So then I call up your code and they said, yeah, you caused an international incident. I go, I, I did. He says, yeah, you didn't pull far enough off the runway. So now your tail is now a <laughs> obstacle for all the airlines leaving. The- <laughs> I mean, I was, I was well off the runway, but, but you know how the clear area and all those things. And so I had to call up my crew and said, after about six hours of crew rest, I said, uh, boys and girls, guess what? We're going to work again. And, and, and I, I love my NCYC. He was a flight engineer. He says, Tom, I'm not ever going to ask you to do this, but I need a direct verbal order so that I can tell all the rest of the guys that you gave me a direct verbal order. <laughs> I said, well, I don't normally give one of these, but this is a direct verbal order. Get downstairs. Let's get out of here. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was uh, someone said I should probably write some of these down. Uh, yeah, yeah. definitely log them in for your family. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There you go. That's part of why we do these little recordings too. Yeah. And then, and then the current uh, activity. I know you're a big time baseball player. Oh, I'm not. I don't know. Well, come big, on, come on. Big time in it. No, I'm not big time. You're you're, you're in a sixty plus cool. group, and you're probably kicking butt, right? Well, no, I'm still playing baseball. Yeah. You know, and last time I played baseball before I started doing this was in little league. And it is just the most fun thing to do. Uh, uh, it's kind of like watching paint dry. There's very, very, I mean, we had a, uh, the team I was on last year, we had uh, two inside the park home runs, which is really difficult for people our age to, drive, <laughs> to run that far. And we turned a triple play. So did they have a hole in the outfield? I mean, how does it go? Know, well, that's, that's the fun part about having a uh, turf. Yeah. yeah. If you get it out there on that turf, it tends to roll forever. Well, the guy made a really good hit, and he just kept going. Plus, yes. we're slow, so the left fielder has a hard time getting out to it. Yeah, if it hits a corner, it can take off on yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I play in the Puget Sound Senior Baseball League, so anybody listening to this, if you're over 60, we sure could use you. And I just play in the recreational division. It's a lot of fun. Oh, sounds like so. Well, this is why I tell my, my wife, says, why, you, why do you drive to do to do that and i said well katie these are my tribe this is my tribe these are my guys well tell her because you can't <laughs> yeah that's right there's not a lot of guys you cannot do that yeah yeah so and then we go down to arizona for three weeks to play in a, a father-son tournament which is this the kick in the rear to be able to play baseball with your son and then i play in an over 60 and over 65 um cool um division so that's it's been pretty fun so you we're generally not here in october we're down in arizona playing baseball well thanks for doing this i appreciate it you bet john thank you so much and thanks for thanks for doing this for everybody i i hope that uh i was able to share a few things and you know maybe somebody else so it'll just help somebody get through life well we'll get maybe we can recruit some good punters out of it right uh i hope so (laughs) i was the only guy now, whenever I go to game, I see like three and four. I'm going, what's up with that? But, oh, well, that's their decision. <laughs> I'll call you right back. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye.